Welcome to this week's episode of BusinessWise. This is a podcast series for entrepreneurs interested in expanding your learning and applying the management system discovered and developed by humanitarian philosopher and administrator, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. There's a quality you need if you're going to get anything done in this world. It's not how smart or right you are, though that helps. Is a little to do with your charm or your good looks, though those things might not harm anything either. It is an X factor you must acquire, or as Mr. Hubbard refers to it more accurately, an X quality. Um, So factually, it's a quality, but I took the literary license to refer to it as an X factor as a nod to my childhood love affair with Marvel Comics, which my parents told me would pollute my mind by the way, and they probably did. Okay, so what is this X factor or X quality? Now, before we get into this, I want to clarify an important term we're going to use here and one that is commonly confused with another word that I will briefly define also, and that is the word ethics. Now, I'm going to give you Mr. Hubbard's definition of the term because the word has been so bloody confused for so many thousands of years that he's about the only person who really got it straight. So, Here you go. He defines ethics as the actions an individual takes on himself in order to accomplish optimum survival for himself and others on all dynamics. Now, I'm not going to get into a big thing on dynamics, but dynamics are basically a compartmentation of the basic urge within all of us to survive. So we seek to survive in different categories. We we seek to survive as ourselves. That would be the first dynamic. uh, or as a family, family unit, that would be the second dynamic. Or as a group, that's a third dynamic. So a dynamic is a survival urge. So he goes on to say this, and this is from Mr. Hubbard. Ethics are reason consisting of rationality toward the highest level of survival for the individual, the future race, the group, and mankind, and the other dynamics taken collectively. It is a personal thing. This is still Mr. Hubbard, right? It is a personal thing. When one is ethical or, quote, has his ethics in, it is by his own determinism and is done by himself. The word comes from the Greek ethos, which means character. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Ethics comes from the word character. Okay, this is a definition based on the works from Mr. Hubbard, mostly coming from his book, Science of Survival. And the book he wrote in 1968, Introducing the Subject of Ethics. So that's ethics. But when you talk to the average person and mention the word ethics, they get an entirely different picture. They see the man in blue or... Being summoned before the thought police tribunal from Proxima Centauri or something like that, or the high school principal or something. And they don't usually like to think or talk about Ethics, even though it is one of the most beautiful concepts, if you really understand it, it's one of the most beautiful concepts there is, really, right along with words like truth or love, ethics. Pity, really, that it gets so confused and is largely confused with the word justice. Now, justice, of course, yeah. You can imagine people, you know, their hair stands up a little bit when they start talking about justice, Um, but it's a different word. It's not to be confused with ethics. Here is how. They're not the same thing and what they truly are. Again, from Mr. Hubbard, this is from the book he wrote, Introducing Subject of Ethics. He published in 1968. He says, quote, 
Ethics consists simply of the actions an individual takes on himself. It is a personal thing. When one is ethical or has his ethics in, it is by his own determinism and is done by himself. So that's ethics. It is personal. It is what you are engaged upon when you are monitoring your own rationality, I guess you could say, towards the greatest number of dynamics. How do you survive best amongst the dynamics so that everybody is winning? That is ethics. Now, he goes on to say this. This is the definition of justice. Justice, Mr. Robert's definition, justice is the action taken on the individual by the group when he fails to take these actions on himself or on Hubbard. So now you get it. Ethics is personal. That's what you'd use to monitor yourself. Justice is what the group says. Hey, you know what? Your concept of ethics is quite destructive to the rest of us. Therefore, we are going to take action with you so that these destructive actions cease. In other words, you're not being ethical. You're not putting in your own ethics. So therefore, we are going into this new uh, subject or related subject, but this is called justice. This is the group now acting on the individual to protect the group because they won't keep their ethics in. You follow? So um, uh, I think with that, you can really appreciate the beauty of this term ethics and the concepts that it represents. Okay, so why are we going over all this? Because I'm about to introduce the X quality you need to get anything done in this world. And not only that, we're going to break it down into its parts so that you can acquire it. And the X quality is ethics presence, ethics presence. Okay, now, uh, a very important quality and a very important factor. And uh, I'm going to pull up an article here from Mr. Hubbard. It's called Ethics Presence. And the date uh, it was written here, 4th of October, 1968. Around about the same time he published the book introducing the subject of ethics. Okay, so he starts the article out like this. He says, the reason an executive can get compliance is because he has ethics presence. If you haven't got it, you won't. See, so that's why I am stating here, if you don't have ethics presence, you're not going to get anything done because no one's going to do any of the things that you tell them to do. You will get people to comply and do things to the degree that you have ethics presence. So let's get into this. He says, when you issue orders, you are using power and force. Let's face it. You know, when you issue an order, you're using power and force. You know, okay, I need you to get this done. Behind that order, there is a certain amount of power and a certain amount of force. I don't care who you are. Uh, you know, say, okay, you know, I need the garage cleaned up by tomorrow. You know, you say that to your teenage son or whatever, you know, you, you he will do it, uh, provided you have ethics presence. If you don't have any ethics presence with you, with him, you know, uh, yeah, dad told me to clean up the garage, but you know, who cares? All right. He's not going to get it done. Same thing with an employee. Uh, same thing with uh, a teammate, you know, you know, you're on a soccer team or something like that. And you say, look, I need you to, to you're the captain of the team. You say, look, I need you to go and uh, cover the, you know, the uh, whatever it is. I don't play soccer. So, you know, uh, usually whatever direction. And uh, the guy either follows it or he doesn't. And he will follow it to the degree that you have ethics presence. You know, you are using power and force in issuing a direction or an order. So he goes on to say this. If you're also right in what you get compliance with and your programs are clear, correct, and beneficial, boy, do you win. Okay, rightness is a factor, okay? It's best to combine ethics presence with being right. And he goes on to explain this. He says, but it is not the rightness of a program that gets compliance. 
It is ethics presence. See, you can give people direction that may or may not be right, and they will follow it if you have ethics presence. It doesn't give you license to issue bad direction, obviously. It's just a point that the compliance is not a factor of the rightness of the direction. Do you follow? You could be supremely right in what you're saying, have no ethics presence, and you will be utterly ignored. Okay? He says, rightness does not get compliance because there are always counter intentions in the way. Haven't you noticed this? You give people perfectly good ideas and direction, and it just gets ignored or it doesn't get done. Why? Well, there's a lot of different aspects to it, but let's just sum it up. As Mr. Hubbard says here, there are always counter intentions in the way. That's just the way it is. You know, we can do a whole podcast on where these counter intentions are coming from or why. We're not going to do that right now. We're just going to say a fact, which you've, I'm sure, observed. Counter intentions get in the way. You say, okay, here's a great direction, something for the team to get behind. A certain number of people are rolling their eyes. Other are bo- others are bored. You know, it's being ignored. Some people are sort of enthusiastic, but don't do anything. You're not going to get compliance because it's a great idea. You're going to get compliance because you have ethics presence. Okay. He says, rightness does not get compliance because there are always counter intentions in the way. If you go on the assumption that one and all want things to go right, you're going to make a dog's breakfast out of it. There are only a few with a good forward look and who are relatively unaberated. L. Ron Hubbard. In other words, they're not to some degree deranged. As a general rule, uh, particularly, I mean, I know it doesn't say much for the human race, but look how nutty it is getting out there. Okay. So nuttiness is prevailing, unfortunately. So you want to push through rightnesses. You want to push through survival actions that benefit across the dynamics that are ethical, that are uh, the kinds of things where everybody wins. Well, you better back it up. Better back it up with ethics presence. Okay. Mr. Harper goes on to say this, man will keep the accounts straight only because you can muster bayonets to enforce that they do. Isn't that unfortunate? It is. But, you know, if you don't put some kind of disciplines in place, you know, particularly talking about accounts here, you know, I've found that particularly around money is one of those subjects where people just don't seem to be able to resist screwing it up in some way, either profiting from it or falsifying it in some way or just being uncaring with regards to it and ignoring details and so forth. No, uh, you know, finance is one of those areas where you've got to be very alert and you've got to be sure to uh, have ethics presence so that people will keep the records straight and they're not going to mess it up and they're going to file your taxes appropriately and correctly and on the right at the right time and this kind of thing. I'm not saying they're all crooks. I'm just saying that it's one of those areas where people just tend to have counterintentions that get in the way and therefore finances tend to become a hash if you're not careful and if you're not alert. Have you not noticed this? Okay. So he goes on to say this, ethics presence is an X quality made up partly of symbology, partly of force, some quote, now we're supposed to use end quote, and endurance. So he's breaking ethics presence down and it's very, very interesting. We're going to take this piece by piece. So he says, Symbology. There is symbology in the business world, right? The cut of the suit, the quality of the shoes, the color of the tie. Uh, even now, I mean, I'm sure it's not quite what it was when I first broke into the business world. You know, we used to have a book called Dress for Success, you know, and I don't remember, but something like the darker the suit, the more influential the guy, unless it was, uh, 
you know, a, uh, what was it? Not a khaki suit, but, uh, anyway, in the summertime, you know, you can wear a different, get away with different color. This is all symbology. Okay. That's what that is. And, uh, of course, cops have a certain amount of ethics presence, uh, in most places because they have a some bunch of symbology. They got a badge, they got a uniform, they got a cap, they got a motorcycle, they got a big badass dog or whatever it is. There's symbology connected with that, you know? Uh, your doctor, you know, walks in with a stethoscope. Okay. You know, he's got symbology. He's got something going for him. He's got a symbol there that indicates I'm the doctor. Uh, I never use this thing that's hanging around my neck, but it tells everybody I'm the doctor. And therefore they start to listen to me. Right. I'm just joking. They probably do use it. I don't know. But all I'm saying is it is without question a symbol and it gives ethics presence. You know, if you want to go in and talk to somebody and give them some medical advice, try it. Just put a stethoscope around your neck and then go and talk to them. You know, put on a uniform, put on some white, you know, some scrubs or something like that. And they'll listen to you more because you've got the symbology going for you. So be alert for that. What is the symbology in your area? It's not the same everywhere, obviously. What is the correct symbology for ethics presence in the Far East would not necessarily be what it is in America. You just have to know what those symbols are and you have to respect them. So that's symbology. And it's also partly a force. Now, what is force? You know, force isn't, you know, I just took a baseball bat to somebody. It's, it's like, you know what we're talking about when we talk about force. You know personalities that when they say something, you can feel something com- coming off of them. That is force. That is intention. There's an intensity. You say, well, that guy's a very intense guy or that's a very intense woman, you know, and there's some sort of force that comes through when they say something. It's said with emphasis. It's said with, you know, directly. It's there's no back off on the communication. And the guy goes, "Okay, I don't think he's kidding. He wants us to clean, you know, the garage by uh, by dinner. You know, I think dad's a little bit. He's had enough. I think he's starting to put a little force in that communication. It's not just a board, you know, why don't you guys go out there and clean the garage and earn yourself a few bucks? You know, it's like, okay, guys, I've asked you three times, go to the garage, clean it up, it'll be done by dinner. If you're lucky, I'll pay you something. And it's like, okay, dad's not kidding. Like there is some force in that communication. Okay. So partly symbology, partly force. Some quote, now we're supposed to use end quote. Okay, well, he's the boss and he writes the pay, he signs the paychecks. Therefore, we are supposed to do what he says. You follow? It's a now we're supposed to. He is a police officer. He uh, is turning on his flashing red light on his car. We're supposed to pull over. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to speed up, we're not supposed to try and get away. And, you know, we've got these now we're supposed to's that sort of bind us as a culture. And, uh, you know, those kind of uh, are elements in ethics presence as well, right? He's got uh, the word captain uh, in front of his name. He's Captain Smith. And when the captain says something, we're all supposed to listen. Okay. That's a now we're supposed to. And this last quality uh, is one of my favorites, probably because. Uh, whatever ethics presence we've been able to muster, you know, uh, from YZ2S largely probably comes from this. And that is endurance. Like we just keep going and you find that people who just keep going and, uh, cannot be, uh, stopped 
after a while, you know, they get a healthy amount of respect. It's kind of like, wow, that guy is like, or that gal or that group, you know, cannot be, it's unkillable. I'll be back. You know, you can't slow them down. You can't stop them. For those who've been following the podcast, I've let it be known that I'm a hockey fan and my team has a player. His name is Brendan Gallagher. And he's just one of the most persistent or not very big guy, but he is respected. I watched him back off another guy. Guy was six foot six. And this guy is just, he's just, he will not be uh, repressed. You know, he dukes it out with far bigger bodies than his, and he's just he- heavily respected. Because, and, you know, he might get injured here and there, but he's right back in there, you know, blood all over his face. And uh, anyway, he's just one of the, probably one of the most admired, respected hockey players in the, uh, in the league because of this uh, endurance factor. He has ethics presence, you know. And if you have a company or a business that's, you know, persisted through COVID and has continued to expand and, you know, nothing seems to daunt you or you might have a setback, but then you put it all back together. Notice that you come back stronger. There is more respect. Why? You're unkillable. You have endurance. You have ethics presence. Mr. Harper goes on to say, he says, endurance asserts the truth of unkillability. You know, Mr. Hubbard says that. So, Nothing seems to stop you. Therefore, you must have truth. That, that is a, that's clearly established, and it gives you ethics. Present. Okay, he goes on to say, as an executive, you get compliance because you have ethics presence and persistence and can get mad. Look at, if you aren't persistent, if you don't have endurance, if you give issue direction, but you don't follow through, you will have no ethics presence, okay? But if you have persistence and you're issuing direction and you're insistent upon it, you know, and you have a potential to get mad, doesn't mean that you're mad all the time. Don't get that, don't get that wrong, okay? But if people know you can get mad, it helps, okay? It's part of that force. It's part of that symbology. It's part of that now we're supposed to. We're either going to do it or he's going to get cross and we don't like that. So let's go ahead and do this, right? He says the way you continue to have ethics presence is to be maximally right in your actions, decisions, and dictates. Because if you're wrong, the other fellow gets wrapped around a pole for complying. And the pain of that starts to outweigh your own ethics presence. That's from Mr. Robert. So, yeah, no, you better be right most of the time. It says maximally. Like, no one's going to be right all the time. But if you're consistently wrong and the direction you're giving people gets their, gets some bloody noses and losses and failure, then I'm sorry, I don't care how much ethics presence you have. You're not going to hold on to it because you do have to be maximally right to continue or to maintain it, maintain that ethics presence. So he goes on to say this. So when you issue orders, you are using force and power. You can, however, get in such a frame of mind, you cease to use the softer arts as well. Against noncompliance, you add ferocity with the aim of continuing your calm line. This is something that is... I think probably best learned with experience. I remember, you know, uh, didn't always have this particular attitude uh, personally. And uh, often I would have sort of savage communication cycles uh, with people and they would end badly and they would stay bad. And uh, finally, somebody spotted that in me and, and, and took it up with me. And it was, uh, it was actually very, very valuable. I ended up learning a lot from that. 
basically she said, well, look, you just can't go around and leaving um, pockets of poison all over the country. <laughs> you need to take each of these communications to a satisfactory result of some kind. And that's, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from that lesson because he says, you add ferocity with the aim of continuing your calm line. Like, don't do it with the, okay, I'm going to blast this guy and that's going to be it. We'll never talk again. And I don't care. The person can go to the dogs and go to hell. No, always complete that with that aim of continuing the calm line. Mr. Robert says wrath is effective, but used in moderation and only in moments of urgency. Don't make a habit of wrath, man. It's not going to work for you. It doesn't give you ethics presence, actually. I've seen, I know a lot of guys who, who, uh, take to abuse that. I won't say a lot, but I know I have my share of people in my experience who abuse that. And after a while, it's just, people just become inured to it. It just become, they become callous to it. The guy's always going to be pissed off. There's nothing we can do about that. So it doesn't give the person ethics presence at all. But the guy who's generally, everybody kind of loves the guy or loves the gal. And, uh, but she starts to look a little cross or he starts to look a little cross doesn't really have to say much. doesn't really have to be much. It's kind of like, no, let's back off. Let's be compliant. Let's do this. Okay. Uh, she asked us to do it. We don't want to piss her off. We love it when she's in a good mood. We love it when she's humorous and joking around with us and showing us her affinity for us and so forth. So we're not going to, we're not going to jeopardize that. We're going to get this stuff done. Right. He says, um, man has been invalidated to such an extent that he starts to do himself in. That's a secret of aberration. He denies himself and uh, then mocks up, which means to create pictures to do himself in with. You know, people, you've watched people, you know, you invalidate them long enough, they start caving themselves in. Strubber goes on to say, if you continue to invalidate and chop people, they will start to do themselves in even harder. So if you continue to use heavy ethics on someone, you play right into the hands of his bank. The bank is, of course, the accumulation of all the negative painful experiences the person has had um, all the way down their own lifetime and track, right? He goes on to say this very interesting datum. He says, self-invalidation is merely the accumulation of invalidation by others. The point being that you better temper the lightning with sunshine occasionally. In his final sentence, he says here, without in any way softening your approach, you should know that real force is dependent upon A-R-C, and we've gone over that in earlier episodes, but affinity, reality, communication, these are the three components of understanding. So he's talking about understanding, he's talking about affinity, he's talking about ability to communicate, he's talking about reality or agreement. He says, you should know that real force is dependent upon A-R-C, and the major threat is the interruption thereof. L. Ron Hubbard, that's the final sentence of the article. So you now have in this podcast, and if you read this article, which you should, if you have access to it, just read the article carefully. You have the component parts of ethics presence, and you can work on yourself. You can drill yourself on um, these different factors. Review, you know, what symbology uh, you're using. Review the force that you're using. Review some of the now we're supposed tos, and of course, the endurance part. You can acquire for yourself a tremendous amount of ethics presence when you know what makes up ethics presence. And with that, you will have people who will get things done for you. And uh, you will start to have a lot more success. Even if you're having success now, you will, you will discover you will have greater success if you work consciously on establishing uh, greater and greater 
ethics presence. Okay, well, that's it for today. Hope we didn't go on too long, but I think it's a pretty important lesson that you find benefit in it and uh, it will help you to succeed uh, from here on out. Okay, so that's it for this week. If you want to write us, uh, we love hearing from you. Please do uh, let us know any successes and wins that you're having. Write us at info at yzstus.org or you can give us a like or uh, leave us a comment. And we appreciate those too because we just love hearing feedback from you on how we're doing. Okay, thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.